I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Though they're barely legal drinking age, the members of the Chicago band Twin Peaks are turning heads at bars, clubs, and music festivals. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Twin Peaks joins us for a special live performance. Later, we review the latest from Jack White's rock supergroup, The Dead Weather. And I put a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, we'll be joined by Twin Peaks, a band that I saw for the first time a few years ago at a big outdoor festival gym. And the singer, Cadian, was out there with a cast on. Didn't make a big deal out of it like Dave Grohl did on uh, the latest Foo Fighters tour, but that did not impede him at all. I mean, this guy was as into it as if nothing was wrong with him. Well, people are going to hear that garage grit later on, but first we have some music news. That is the song Alexander Hamilton from the new smash Broadway musical Greg Hamilton about the founding father who started our monetary system. What a strange thing to write a Broadway musical about, but it's working. It debuted at number 12 on the Top 200 Billboard Albums chart. And get this, GK, that's the highest Broadway cast recording album debut since Camelot in 1961. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in summer. Seeing you in summer, I never would go. Sold 30,000 copies in its first week. Uh, The only Broadway cast recording, the last Broadway cast recording that's done better was Rent in 1996. It sold 43,000 But Hamilton's uh, well on its way toward beating that. Now, the auteur behind this musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is drawing heavily on hip-hop. And those two things, the founding of the monetary system and (laughs) and hip-hop, would not seem to go together. I haven't seen the play. I have heard the music. I like the music. It's quite credible. But, you know, as a Broadway musical experience, I think I still prefer 1776. That Eddie Money song you're hearing right now, Two Tickets to Paradise, it's on loop in the uh, Pandora offices this week, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Because they just struck a deal with Ticketfly, which is an organization that has sold 16 million tickets worth $500 million a year. Meanwhile, Pandora Media, the internet radio company that is dominating that business with uh, $80 million 
listeners now has a ticketing component for its artists. I'm always fascinated by anyone that wants to take a run at that Ticketmaster Live Nation juggernaut that dominates the the concert industry in the United States. And here's the latest company to do so. Uh, Why this poses a challenge, I think a significant challenge, to what Ticketmaster is doing is that Pandora has a long history of using its user data for marketing. It can now supply that data to its artists and enable them to target the cities and the markets in which their concerts would be most successful. I think that's got a kind of a formula that puts a nice twist on the ticketing game. Uh, As one of the uh, Ticketfly chief executives said, we're giving venues and promoters this incredible access to a massive and targeted audience of nearly 80 million music fans. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but for now, the significant challenge to Ticketmaster seems to be in place. Greg, you want to talk about cat scratch fever. There is a lot of intersection between famous felines and the music world of late. You have probably heard this news, that little bub, that uh, celebra cat who dominates <laughs> the web, is about to make her debut album. You know, bub is a phenomenon on the web among people who love cats. Uh, one of the biggest disappointments of my professional career. Uh, you know, bub makes touring appearances and raises money for charities, mm-hmm. animal charities. I was supposed to, quote unquote, interview bub at Metro <laughs> until I pointed out that I'm like deathly allergic to cats. Oh, I think that's, that's the first sure. interview I've ever lost because the person would have made my eyes swell and I couldn't breathe. But Bub is taking it to the record, right? This is in the process right now. The owner of this cat, I don't know if that's the right phraseology, Mike Bradovsky says uh, she's a little hard to work with. She's very particular. But apparently Snoop Dogg didn't have any problem because Bub is a guest with Snoop on the Meow the Jewels record. (laughs) People may remember we had as guests on Sound Opinions Run the Jewels, that incredible hip-hop duo of Killer Mike and LP, and they had made a comment in an interview somewhere about how they were going to remix the album with cat sounds Mm -hmm, and call it Meow the Jewels. And the response to this was so enthusiastic, the people started raising money on Kickstarter, came up with 60 grand. (laughs) So now those guys had to put it together, and you have all of these giants of the music world, Prince Paul, and Dan the Automator and Portishead's Jeff Barrow and Little Bub mm-hmm. uh, contributing to this record which remixes Run the Jewels with uh, various cat sounds. I'm up at midnight, I'm dipping off in my knees like a gun on a metal piece I've been knees I fist to my wrist like what albums would you like to hear remixed or featuring a cat? I know which ones I'd like to have in the litter box, but <laughs> let's throw this out to the listeners. Give us a call on the Sound Opinions hotline, 888-859-1800.
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is a snippet of the song I Found a New Way from the album Wild Onion, the sophomore release by this week's guests, Twin Peaks. This five-piece up-and-coming garage rock band from Chicago consists of singer and guitarist Katie and Lake James, bassist Jack Dolan, guitarist Clay Frankel, drummer Connor Brodner, and a recent addition, keyboardist Colin Kroom. Back when they were just high schoolers in 2009, the young twin peakers explored genres like power pop and psychedelia. But in the last few years, they've really defined their signature punk garage sound. Since initially they were too young to even play in clubs and other 21-plus venues, they began doing DIY house shows, steadily building their fan base. Then they channeled some of their influences, including the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, and the Stooges, into their first record, Sunken, one that they recorded via GarageBand in lead singer Cadian's basement. Then last fall, Twin Peaks released their second album, Wild Onion, to critical acclaim. And they're playing festivals like Lollapalooza, and they recently sold out their show at the Vic Theater in Chicago. Now, that high-energy performance style, very guitar-based rock and roll, playful lyrics, they're a big draw now for young fans looking for something other than EDM. A few weeks ago, we had the pleasure of hosting a performance, an interview with Twin Peaks in front of an audience at the Goose Island Beer Aging Barrel House. Raw gritty garage rock like you've never seen, you know? Basically in a big garage. In a big garage, exactly. We also chatted with them about their start, big labels, the Chicago music scene, and I started out by asking Kadian what his light bulb moment was when he decided to pursue a music career. Well, I feel like there's been many moments like that throughout my life, recurringly, but for instance, one was just going on our first tour. We had just graduated high school, and playing house shows every night, crashing on floors, playing to people who were having a blast and having a blast ourselves. And I remember talking to a band called Teenage Moods in Minneapolis. And uh, the bassist in the band at the time was just saying, you guys are going to college? Why are you doing that? Right. Keep doing this. And it, it just really stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's what I would like to do. And I didn't buy it at the time that I would, but here we are. Right, right. So, so Jack, let's go to you next. What about your moment? Uh, well, I guess, I guess mine would be a similar thing. I, I, like the first few DIY shows we started playing in Chicago, me and Kadian and Connor at least had been going to these shows since we were like 16 years old. And it took us a really long time to like kind of break through into that community because it is a really, it's kind of an exclusive thing. Everyone kind of took us in with really open arms and... You know, it, it kind of took off from there. We should take a second to explain about DIY house shows, because I think one of the great failings in rock journalism right now is to not be attacking the age limits. When the drinking age of 21 was imposed, and in this city, Chicago in particular, it is so almost impossible for a club to get an all-ages license, right? And who cares about live music most? It's kids the age you guys were, and you can't go see legitimate shows in a safe, licensed venue. But, you know, why aren't there clubs, that do that. I don't know. Have you got a thought on that, uh, Connor? Well, I mean, it's just, I don't know why. I mean, I, I know why, but I don't politics, know rotten why politics. they make it's it so Chicago, hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's rough. I mean, I still like there were so many shows I couldn't go to, even being in a band, even like a year ago. Yeah. Well, there um, were shows that we were supposed to play that we couldn't yeah. play. You know that 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 has happened to us before. There's not a lot. Yeah. There's not a lot of options. That's true. It's uh, it's pretty dark and lame, and I don't know if I could give you the the reasons why or you know it's it's tough it seems like it's been that way for a long time but there's also been a enduring community that whoever's running the 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 houses or lofts or whatever they're throwing the underground shows it's a rotating cast of members or people who are being at the forefront of it but i think that's part of the drive of young artists wanting to you know have control over their art and the scene that's around it and so that that thrives, and a lot of the people running these spots are people who are in their late 20s and 30s who were there, and they're saying, I don't want that to be what these kids have to go through. Let's talk about the records a little bit. Sunk in the first record, which is very a very DIY record, kind of very homemade kind of record. Nonetheless, the sound seemed to be in place. Five guys growing up with all this kind of music. Was it instant, kind of like this is what we're going to play, guitar-based, rock and roll? Was there any kind of get in a room and let's see what comes out? Or did you kind of know ahead of time, okay, this is what we're going to be uh, well, before we even started recording? Well, when we did that record, we knew what was going into it. It was eight songs we'd been playing as a set. And we were going out on tour, had nothing to sell, so we said, let's record that. And there was no ambition past that at that point. It was just a demo tape. But before that, we'd been playing together, me, Connor, and Jack, and then Clay came along. We were with a friend called Lucas Herzog. But there was definitely experimentation with different styles, and I think we've continued to do that. But, you know, we used to do kind of... We were into Grizzly Bear and wanted to have kind of more psychedelic, weird stuff. And none of it stuck that much. And we kind of, it, it became obvious what we were good at and what we loved to do. Yeah, our first shows were kind of crazy because we were playing like punk, really punk songs, really fast punk songs, and then like a reggae song, yeah. and then like, like yeah, like a like a weird indie grizzly bear real estate type song. It was all over the place. Now let's hear a more updated sound. Here's Twin Peaks performing the song "Boomers" from their debut album "Sunken" live on Sound Opinions.
Boomers by Twin Peaks, live on Sound Opinions at the Goose Island Barrel House here in Chicago. You can catch a video of their entire set on our website, soundopinions.org. We'll have more performance and conversation with Twin Peaks in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later, Greg will add a song he can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and the song you're hearing is Flavor by our guest this week, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is a Chicago rock band on the rise who recently released their second album and played Lollapalooza. The group joined us for a live taping at the Goose Island Barrel House, and I talked about the notion that millennials are more open to listening to music from different genres than perhaps older music fans. They hear artists like Chance the Rapper and bands like Twin Peaks and equally consider them both to represent their generation. Here's guitarist-singer Cadian Lake-James responding. I think a big part of it is just like music is so much more accessible and people's personality and their music is more accessible now that we have the Internet. And it's just the way that mm-hmm. it's, it's promotion, but it's also just much more intuitive of just like this is who I am. And it's so much easier to get that out there and have it accessible to listeners and fans and people and it's it's tough to pinpoint exactly how but i think it has played a hugely like drastic role in why why everything's taking off like that i think as far as us and chance the rapper go a part of that too is just similar age group hometown dudes who are doing well it's you know that's something it's easy for people to latch on to and uh Feel pride in. Taste for the candy, your peppermint is the truth. I'm pessimistic on Monday. If I had tweaked him, it's you. You look so good with the hat on, had to match with the shoes. Came and dressed in the satin, I came and sat in your pew. Chicago really has never had its own sound, really. Like, yeah. you, you can pinpoint like a West Coast sound right now, as far as rock and roll goes. And, and that's the same for rap, Detroit. for East Coast, and all that. But I, and I think that's why, like we we just we kind of learn to accept all sorts of different kinds of music. Now let's hear Twin Peaks performing their brand of garage live. The song "Good Lovin'" on Sound Opinions. Good 
Twin Peaks with Good Lovin', live on Sound Opinions from the Goose Island Barrel House in Chicago. Let's go back to our conversation with Cadian, Jack, Connor, Colin, and Clay. This group's unique because it has three lead singers and multiple songwriters, and I was curious about how Twin Peaks' songwriting worked considering the number of voices in the creative process. We just write a song at home. Uh, one of us will just bring a pretty near-completed song. Sometimes we'll even do demos of it by ourselves. And then bring it forward and then just, it's pretty straightforward. It's just some guy writes a song, brings it to the band, and then we just start playing it, writing stuff on top of it. The thing that's interesting to me about this new record, the Wild Onion record, well, not so new, but came out last year, the ambition of the record. And there's some new colors in there and new textures, and there's some softer songs. There's some more, I hesitate to call them romantic, but they certainly have more of a feel of, it's not just all pedal to the metal garage rock and roll there's 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 textures there's colors in there you're talking about sort of baroque touches you know instruments that are not traditional rock and roll instruments on there how do you guys you know come to agreement like that i know what it was like to be 18 19 20 and hey man let's not be so sensitive like you know are we going to share our feelings again you know that kind of thing (laughs) what are we an emo band well i don't know i think we're all pretty open and honest people and we're all best buds so one of us has the ambition to say, I just really want to try that. Mm-hmm. That's what's up to here. That's what I want to do. It's, I can't really think of circumstances where people have been shut down in this band. We're just like, no, we're not doing that. It's been pretty open to just say, like, well, all right. Like, even if people are skeptical, they say, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Let's try it. And if it turns out great, great. The um, transition from where you guys were talking about starting out in basements at DIY shows, right? You, you played Lollapalooza, and the VIP platinum passes closest to the stage are like $2,800 a ticket. All right, and you're, of course, playing on a stage with a huge corporate sponsorship. That's not where you came from. It's not what you love. It's a part of life today in the concert world. How do you deal with that? I mean, it's not so bad. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's good to get paid. You know, paid. it's great. Yeah. I mean, really, the best thing is just to play the, play the music that we want to play to as many people as we can. And if yeah. we have to go... Yeah, but see, your friends are half a mile away. Yeah, yeah, but they're the still there. And the people in the massage tent area <laughs> right. and the, the wine bar well, area... they can watch, too. Uh, you <laughs> know? <laughs> we were really stoked to play festivals at first, and they're still fun. But it's not like playing a club, like a nice, intimate club or a house or anything it's it's harder it's not as fun but it's good i mean you're playing to a lot of new people that hear the music and old people that have already heard it it's good it's definitely good Do you feel that the club infrastructure out there in America is threatened 
we're lucky here in Chicago that we have a dozen great venues, but a lot of cities don't anymore, like Detroit. Every, every room is, is owned and run by Live Nation. Minneapolis, almost that way. You have to go to St. Paul <laughs> to not have a Live Nation room. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's, I'm not super caught up in the world of promoters and all that, Live Nation buying up all the venues. And, you know, I'm sure that is a thing. I hear people, we played Vegas and this guy was like, there's no scene out here. I'm trying to bring the scene back. And I'm sure that happens, but I also feel like bands are always going to want to play clubs. And that's always going to be part of it. And so maybe things will get threatened, but I don't think that will ever go away. The kids and will I, find a way to make it. Yeah, I mean, it's, and bands are going to find a place to play it. I don't know. Maybe it's easier for us to say coming out of playing basements all the time, but it doesn't seem like a crisis to me. It's like I don't like festivals that much. I, wouldn't, I don't like going to see a band at a festival. It's not the ideal location, so I don't do that. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm biased because Chicago has so many great clubs. But... It hasn't stricken me as some crisis or anything like that. Uh, you, it you, is you changing. Played, you played Mexico City. What was it like there? It was pretty sweet. That was cool. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Um, you didn't play a club so, there, though. So. Well, the, yeah, and that, like, I don't know. It's like a pretty, that's like a pretty hit place, it seemed like. That festival was interesting, too, because it was all these different bands from, what, like 20 different countries or something like that? Like 20, like 20 or 30. Yeah, or something. yeah something like that. So, uh, so basically, there's no way that all these people knew all these bands who were playing and the crowd was never really empty the whole time they were like there f- to see people play music like the whole you know the whole time and that's like I, obviously that's just such a different scene than here because that's obviously not what people are going for when they go to a festival in america all the time let's listen to one more tune from twin peaks this is telephone on sound opinions <laughs>
That's Telephone, live on Sound Opinions from Goose Island Barrel House in Chicago. Now let's return to our conversation with the band, where I was wondering if the guys felt any pressure to top their first two records. Again, here's Cadian Lake James. This is like the least pressure we've had going into a record, because we're at the point now where if it doesn't grow, we have this great fan base, we're able to tour and maintain that. At least for now, our parents are still cool with us crashing at home. Yeah, thanks moms and dads. But it's also, we've had the most time we've ever had to do a record, and I think also we've been doing it for long enough now that we're, we're so much more of a, of a unit than we were the last two times, and we already felt so good before. Yeah, it, it seemed like less pressure to us at this point. It's interesting because you guys are in a position now where there's a lot of things probably being asked of you and proposals being made to you. Kaden, you've got first-hand experience. Your brother was in a band, Smith Westerns, that was fairly successful. talking about the, the next step with this group do you even need a label do you even need to get signed is that even an ambition uh, of a group like this you have friends in a band called the orwells that signed a, a big label deal right and you're probably watching all of this stuff observing how did it go what what can we learn out of this what what are you learning out of these situations well it's interesting as far as like the do you need a label question it's it's awesome seeing like chance for instance go with no label and be absolutely crushing the game it's, it's awesome and I've, I've thought about that a lot and it's like to one extent I, I wish we could do that and be like an entirely independent thing and you know there's the major label thing that we haven't directly experienced so I can't truly say but it just never felt right to us and so I think there's people independent labels are doing a good job of finding a way to be as lightweight as possible but help the band get the exposure and get the the vinyl and the CDs out there Thank you so much, Twin Peaks, Thank for you. coming in. Thanks Thank you guys for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thank you. That wraps up our conversation with Twin Peaks live at the Goose Island Barrel House in Chicago. To watch video of their entire performance, visit us at soundopinions.org. Have a comment on Twin Peaks or anything in the musical universe? Give us a call for the air at 888-859-1800. Coming up, we'll review the third album from Jack White's other band, The Dead Weather. Plus, Greg will share his Desert Island jukebox pick. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is a tune called Rough Detective by the Dead Weather from the group's third album, Dodge and Burn. The Dead Weather, no matter what they accomplish, Gray, is probably always going to be known as one of Jack White's other bands. Jack White of the White Stripes, Jack White now a solo artist, is sitting behind the drums, which is what he did in the beginning of his career a million years ago with a group called Goober and the Peas. Jack is just drumming. There is a stunning vocalist in the front of the band, Allison Mosshart from The Kills. And the other players are no slouches either. Queens of the Stone Age guitarist Dean Fertitta, the raconteur's little Jack Lawrence. The Dead Weather came together in 2009 playing a set for a hundred odd friends at Third Man Records. The uh, record company, a storage company, rehearsal space, live music venue in Nashville, where Jack White has built his empire. Mm. That record followed with a lot of touring, the first album, 2009, second album, 2010. The band was on the road quite a bit and uh, became a true group, not just a side project. But they've been silent for a couple of years now. Along comes album number three, Dodge and Burn. We're going to give our opinions on it in a minute, but first let's play a tune. This is Let Me Through by the Dead Weather from Dodge and Burn on Sound Opinions. Loving is a wild thing. Me through from the dead weather and new album Dodge and Burn. You know, Allison Mossart, when she says, I'm a bad man, let me through. Who's going to argue with her? You know? I, I, I love the part when she says, I save all my best shots for you. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. She's a great vocalist, and uh, it's great for her to have this showcase in tandem with Jack White, who uh, literally and figuratively takes sort of a back seat. He's the guy in the back playing the drums while Allison Mossart is out front. Although it's pretty cool when the two of them get together 
and trade vocal lines. Uh, Rough Detective, I'm thinking of, is a highlight of this record because Moss Hart and White are going at it. There's a section in this song where it's beyond words. They're kind of basically just screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it reminds me of like two stray cats meeting in an alley fighting for turf. And it's exciting because it just kind of goes off the rails. The other part of this record that to me is really great is A Secret Weapon, Dean Fertitta. Everybody talks mm-hmm. about Jack White and Alison Mossart, but Dean Fertitta playing guitars and keyboards to the point where you can't really tell one from the other. Is that a keyboard sound? Is that a guitar sound? Does it matter? It's just nasty and raw and dissonant. He's using both of these instruments as sound machines. Yeah. It's not about tone or pretty notes. It's about this kind of distorted, ugly, noisy sound, and it adds an element of just pure nastiness to this record that I really enjoy as a fan of, you know, more extreme rock and roll. There are two moments in this record, though, that are kind of buzzkills, and not the song Buzzkiller, but uh, two other songs that I don't particularly like. Let's see if you pick the same one that I've got in mind. Well, I think the $3 hat business with uh, (laughs) sort of a, you know, Jack White's take on this whole staggerly myth, that's been overdone so many times. Here he's doing sort of his version of that. Yeah, but for I a reason. It's that, time. that that one doesn't bother yeah. me. And and I think the final song, the impossible yeah. winner finale. One writer called it a candidate for the next James Bond soundtrack, and that seems about right. Get Add a little orchestration to that track, and you've got something in that vein, but it doesn't belong on it's this, this record. It's Broadway piano ballad. It, I don't it, understand. It, it gets tacked on at the end, Jim, yeah. for a reason. It's like they didn't know where to put it. I would have left it off, because I yeah. think it kind of breaks the mood of this record. Don't be long. I'm no beginner. But overall, I like this record, you know? I I wasn't a huge fan of the first two Dead Weather records, mainly because they reminded me too much of the White Stripes, but I think since Jack White has been doing these more textured solo records, more experimental, he's getting back to some real basics here, and it sounds really raw and fresh to me. So I'm going to give it a buy it. I agree with your buy it, Greg. Uh, You know, they're not doing anything new here. This is dirty, filthy blues (laughs) garage rock. But it's timeless, and with the exception of that closing piano ballad, Impossible Winner, it's all pretty great. I even like the Stagger Lee nod. I tell you, this is the music, swampy, southern gothic, that should be playing in the cabin in the original Evil Dead, Mm -hmm. you know, the first Sam Raimi, just where everything is just icky and disgusting and menacing, but also kind of exciting, right? This is a great record. It is perfectly timed with Halloween coming up, if you ask me. So a double buy it for Dodge and Burn. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and play you a song that we cannot live without. Greg, what do you got? 
Jim, I've been thinking about Elvis Costello lately. I've been uh, plowing through his uh, new memoir, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink. A lot like his career, it's kind of hit and miss, but the high, <laughs> points, the high points are really good. I mean, it's, it's well worth diving into if you like some or all of his music at all. And I was reminded again of the greatness of those early albums, which I still love. I think the first four or five Elvis records are, are pretty terrific, in particular this year's model, his second album and first with the attractions. And the fact that they were a new group at that time with something to prove really hungry, I think manifests itself in the way that record sounds. I remember going to see them on one of their first tours when I was a kid in college and just being awestruck by this guy with these oversized glasses wearing this cheap suit and tie, cinched up to the collar, never loosening that tie at all, the sweat pouring through his sleeves about Mm. 20 minutes into the show. The intensity of that performance was really riveting, and the songs had a lot to do with it. What a great band. They got lumped into New Wave and Punk But actually, the musicians in this band were quite good, quite a level above most punk and new wave bands. Pete Thomas on drums, Steve Naive on keyboards, Bruce Thomas on bass. These were excellent players. And and they really took off when they were performing these very constricted, claustrophobic songs that Costello was writing at the time. He said the two main themes in his writing, and it was kind of overplayed at the time, but some of this is true, were revenge and guilt. Those were the two overriding emotions in these songs. When you listen to a song like Lipstick Vogue from that album, from that this year's model record, uh, you get a sense of what I'm talking about. The anger in the lyrics, the frustration, the sense of betrayal, and at the same time, this virtuosic band playing in really intense rock and roll. The drum part by Pete Thomas on this song is extraordinary. There's a point in the song where he just takes it over, and then it comes surging back, which to me is one of the absolute highlights of Elvis Costello's career. I have been silent here, but I will second your uh, uh, Pete Thomas love. He's an extraordinary drummer. I'm not so big on the Declan McManus, but you just made a pretty convincing case. Yeah, again, I go back to those early records, and I think, man, if he'd kept along those lines, I, I, w- I would have loved a lot more more of his records over his career than I did. Yeah, we uh, we ain't going to ever play the Juliet letters for (laughs) the Desert Island jukebox. But this year's model still holds up, and Lipstick Vogue is a great song from that record. This is Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Lipstick Vogue on Sound Opinions. Oh, 
Vogue by Elvis Costello and the attractions Greg's Desert Island Jukebox pick this week. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, the annual Halloween show. We're going to play great songs about the devil. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Special thanks to Adam Yaffe, Andrew Gill, Gabrielle Wright, Jake Eupert, and the Goose Island Barrel House. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our newish intern, Libby Gormley. Sweat spot, Susan, won't you give me a line? I need a doctor, give me nine, nine, nine. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New Messages. This is Paul Rosenblatt calling in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I love the Spooner Oldham interview you guys did. Uh, he wrote or played on most of my favorite tunes, and the interview captured his talent, his modesty, and his humanity really well, I thought. I wanted to tell you about the time I accidentally saw him play live. Peggy Young, Neil's ex-wife, was taking the late Burt Yanch, the legendary guitarist, on an American tour during the last year of his life. Neil Young called him the Jimi Hendrix of the acoustic guitar. The tour was scheduled to stop here in Pittsburgh at a little church. My wife and I had tickets, and when Kurt Hansch was introduced and stepped out on stage with his band, there was Spooner Oldham coming out to play keyboards all night. He was out there playing unannounced until towards the end of the set. What a treat. Kurt Hansch and Spooner Oldham, unbelievable music that night. One of my favorite shows ever. Thanks, guys. Great show. Keep up the good work. When things go wrong each day You fix your mind to escape your misery
Uh, hi guys, this is Mark. I uh, am a listener to your podcast. I've been listening for about a year and I just wanted to call in about the article you did on London Calling. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I agree. It's a classic album. It's uh, been one of my top five albums since it came out in 1980 when I was just 15. I'd never heard some of the uh, early versions that you played before. Really enjoyed them. Thanks very much for doing that. Hopefully some young listeners uh, will uh, get switched on to The Clash after that. So thanks very much, guys, once again. And one final thing, Jim, when you're talking about the Sex Pistols, it's not never mind the bullocks, it's never mind the bollocks. Not the same thing. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Alex in Baltimore. I'm a big fan of the show. Just finished listening to your London Calling episode. And uh, in the beginning, you joined the legions of critics who just can't stand Ryan Adams for some reason. Uh, I've been a fan since Love is Hell. So I got on board long after Heartbreaker, which I know most people say is his masterpiece. But this guy has been consistently putting out great music across multiple genres, all with like that nice tinge of pop. He makes no bones about his influences, whether it's Greg Sage and the Wipers or, I guess, now Taylor Swift. Uh, anyway, I'm bummed he's getting so much attention for a cover album, but I hope it inspires people to check out some of his original material, including that excellent self-titled album he put out a year ago. Anyway, thanks a lot, and uh, please stop hating so many things I like. Between Ryan Adams and your father, John Missy Takedown, I'm starting to develop a complex. Thanks, guys. Hi, my name's Elaine Ferry, and I live in West Virginia. I listen to WXPN exclusively. But I have to admit, I usually turn it off when your show comes on. However, I left the radio on for the dog today, and when I returned home, Keith Richards was singing Goodnight Irene. I was loving it. I was singing along with it. And then I heard your review where you said nobody needs to own this record. I find that very distressing, and it only confirms why I don't listen to the show. All right. Bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.